As we mentioned earlier, uh, our theme this week is the glory of the ordinary. Um, I know that, like, for many of you guys, like, in a typical week, uh, you work, like, 1.7 jobs. Some of my favorite statistics. I feel like you guys work 1.7 jobs. It's just, like, most of you work two. Some of you work one. Uh, you do your homework. You uh, find time to, like, exercise or, like, do something, you know, fun or whatever. You cook and you eat your meals. Uh, sometimes you forget those even, uh, you like do your practicum, your capstone or like whatever extra stuff you have to do, like your student teaching that's required by your major. And then you squeeze in like extracurriculars, like RUF or like the ultimate Frisbee team or like weightlifting club or like whatever it is that future engineers of America, I wrote that one down. Um, that's not, that it's not what it's called, but it's something like that. Um, there's like, I think there's like... <laughs> That's uh, that one. That's the one. I know that that's that's a thing. Uh, like the, the reality is, like you guys are you guys are probably uh, the subset of maybe the most busy people, maybe like in the world. I don't know. And like at least that I've ever met. Um, and so as I started thinking about like what kind of retreat I would want you uh, to be at, uh, what would God say to you in this season of your lives? I really thought like, well, how does God fit into like that mess of a schedule? What does it look like? Because you can't quit that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I feel like in other uh, colleges, other college students are busy, and my advice to them would just be like, well, you need to quit some of the stuff you do. But like, a lot of you guys are like, well, then I can't pay rent next month. And I'm like, well, okay, never mind, don't quit. Um, so, like, I- I'm really proud of your, your, your work ethic. I am. I'm proud to be your campus minister and like help you guys in that in any way that I can. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about is like, what does the Bible say about the lives that you're living, right? How's the Bible come to like map onto that? How does God meet you in the midst of all these obligations? Well, uh, that's our big question this evening, actually. Uh, I, the big question we're going to tackle this evening is how does your ordinary life fit into God's extraordinary plan? That's the thing we're going to keep coming back to. How does your ordinary life fit into God's extraordinary plan. Um, tonight, we're going to actually seek our answer to that question in Genesis 2, 15 through 25. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, um, even if it's on your phone or whatever. My number's up on the screen, too, if you have questions. Uh, we may not tackle those tonight just because we're so busy, but you can still text me, and maybe I'll address them at some point. Um, as you're turning to Genesis 2, 15 through 25, um, oh, also... We're going to dabble a little bit. I'm going to read uh, verse 28 of the chapter 1 as well. But um, as you're turning there, uh, I, I want to I tell you that I picked this passage uh, because it tells us how our story begins, right? Um, the story of the world that we're all living in today. Unfortunately, sometimes, like as, as Christians, we like to start the story like right after Adam and Eve rebelled and like the world fell. And then we just talk about like how broken everything is. And then we, because we're really quick to be like, and then Jesus is fixing it. And that's true. Like the world is broken and Jesus is fixing it. But God gave us two chapters at the beginning of the Bible where that was not the case for a reason. Because uh, he wants us to know the full story, how it all happened. Um, we know that the, the world did not begin after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, but rather it began uh, before that. It began with perfection and goodness and hope and beauty. Um, so uh, it's important for us to get that story right. It's important for us to know uh, what that story says um, because we all live in stories. 
right? We're all like, we all have like narratives that we tell ourselves about the lives that we're living, what's true about our world. Uh, For example, like just this week, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like the trial that um, is happening with Amber Geiger and her like brother Botham Jean, or not, sorry, not her brother, the man that she killed named Botham Jean, uh, her brother, like Brant Jean, his brother, sorry, man, his brother Brant Jean, uh, like gave a hug to this woman who like murdered his brother. Um, and like a big, like emotional court scene. Um, and immediately in the aftermath of that incident, basically two like narratives sprung up about that moment, like what was happening while that, like we're all seeing the same thing, right? If you watch a video, you're looking at the exact same thing, but how you think about that thing and how that, what that thing means is completely different based on like what narrative you were living in before. So one group of people saw Brant give this woman who murdered his brother, like uh, a hug. And they said, wow, what extraordinary forgiveness that this man would like bestow. In fact, he was motivated by his faith. He says very explicitly, uh, I want you to put your faith in Jesus. And it's this very beautiful moment where he forgives her and he loves her and he embraces her. And another narrative also at the same time, same scene, people are looking at the same exact thing, but another narrative is that uh, this is just more uh, white oppression of the black race. The reality is that like, um, if, you, if you're living in that narrative, you realize that like, this is just one more time where black people feel like they have to forgive white people for killing them or hurting them or oppressing them. And so these two narratives have come like to the fore. And depending on like what the way that you look at this scene, both things have their truths. Both things like seem to be true and we have to decide. And for the record, I'm not going to talk about which one of those is the right narrative. Um, but like the, the reality is that like how you view this like one, you know, 30 second chunk of video is actually entirely dependent upon like how you view like where you're coming from and where we're going to. And so that's, that's what I'm pointing out is that like we all do this with our lives. We're all looking, that's a macro level, but we're all thinking about where we're coming from and where we're going to. And that's how like the individual moments, that's how we make decisions. So if we don't have the right story, if we don't have like the right place we're coming from, it's going to be very hard to like interpret our current moment. It's going to be really hard for you to see how God's at work right now if you don't know how he's, how he's like structured the world and how he's been at, uh, at work before. So that's why we're looking at Genesis 2, uh, 2, 15 through 25. Uh, I'm going to start reading in chapter 1, verse 28, just so that we have a little more to go on, on verse, uh, when we get to 2, 15, because it's kind of going to unpack that. So this is verse 28 of chapter 1, and then we're going to do 2, uh, 15 through 25. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, and skipping forward to 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper uh, fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God 
caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he, sl- he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Uh, God, help us to have attentive minds this evening, even though it's late, uh, to hear your word. Um, uh, Lord, help us to know uh, what it means to find glory in the ordinary. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so let's remember a big question, right, that we're going to ask about this text is how does your ordinary life fit into God's extraordinary plan? How does your ordinary life fit into God's extraordinary plan? Well, look with me first at verse 15. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. From the very outset of creation, right, God made man for work. This was God's plan A, right? Uh, This is pre-fall. This is not like... You know, God had to make some sort of like concessions. This was not like, um, you know, an afterthought to keep Adam and Eve busy. Uh, It's a central purpose for us in the mind of God. And it's for our good. And then in verse 28, uh, the previous chapter, right, informs us that verse 15 is only a summary. It's only a summary that God had intentions for our great-grandparents. But in reality, God had made his intentions known, right? He commands Adam and Eve. Not, Not just that he like... He has like, okay, I hope they'll do this. But instead, he commands Adam and Eve, this is what you're going to do. Be fruitful and multiply. That's not an option, right? Uh, Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Uh, There's a a few observations we can make from like the fact that God would make such a command. First, work isn't optional. It's not something that we can opt in and out of. Uh, The fact that God commanded Adam and Eve to work means that it's not like a value-added activity, it's not like something that God like tacked on and it's like, you know, if you're into it, like you can work. And then for some people, work is not like going to be their thing. Instead, it's, it's basically central to who God has made people to be, that we're workers. Um, it's as accurate to call somebody human as it is to call them a worker. Um, and uh, it's essential to their flourishing as humans. Um, and it's how they're going to bear God's image to his creation Uh, The earth, on some level, is going to get to know its creator through the hands of of these creatures. That's, that's, there's no, there's no other way. That's how God sets it up. Second, we know that humanity was created to be fruitful and multiply. Um, Meaning that this whole episode was really only supposed to be the beginning. This is the very beginning. God sets up, you know, one man to be a gardener, like can you imagine a more, like, just normal, like, ordinary, like, job? He's just going to, he's just, his little plot of land, he's just going to till it. Like, that's the first vocation ever created. Um, not, you know, some high-powered CEO, but just like a, like a gardener. Um, and he was intended not to just do his little patch of land, but be fruitful and multiply means that he was going to do his patch, and then he was going to have kids, and then they're going to have kids, and they're going to spread out over the whole earth, Right? And the whole earth is meant to be brought under dominion. Um, and, the, and the thing is, like, for some of us, this is important, uh, especially for you, like, artists. 
artisans, like dancers, like music makers, any of those people in the room. Um, it means that like God intended for there to be culture from the very beginning, uh, right? Because like as people spread out, life in Wisconsin is going to have to look very different than life in like Costa Rica, right? Uh, it means there's going to have to be, because there's different mediums, like you know, you might not be able to find the same, like, paint or the same colors or the same whatever, like, in Costa Rica that you can find in Wisconsin. The same is true in both places. Houses are going to have to look different. Um, so if you're an architect or something, like, all of these things are going to have to look different. You're going to have to make culture as you branch out through the whole earth. God gives Adam and Eve this responsibility. They, it's not optional. And also, they had this burden to, like, make culture from the very, very get-go. Um, it would, it would need specializing and adapting as they spread out. And all this innovation and culture was left for them to make. It was left for us as humans to make. Uh, he wanted us to create our own customs, our own traditions, norms. That's what was supposed to happen as, as we spread across the earth. Um, and this brings us to our third observation. We're going to camp out on this point um, about our collective story that we're living in. Work, at its core, um, it's partnership with God. Right? The, uh, the reality is, like, he wasn't done creating. Right? If he's saying, like, you guys go subdue the earth, it means it wasn't already subdued. If he's, if he's giving them work to do, if there's something about creation that's not done yet, <laughs> it means that he has gotten to the sixth day, rested, like, has made man, and he said, now, you guys keep going. I got you started. You guys keep, keep, keep doing it. Um, and, and it's, that means that like God is inviting us in our careers, in your, your jobs, even now, to take part as a mini creator, as a, uh, as a creator like he is. Now, we don't create things out of nothing like he did, but he's given us the stuff and he said, like, you know, I put my image in you so that when you work, you work like I do. Uh, that's the, that's the first answer to our question, right? So I said, how does, uh, how does your ordinary life fit into God's plan? Uh, the first answer is God creates through your creation. God creates through your creation. When I was a little kid, uh, I was involved with Cub Scouts, uh, which is like the junior version of Boy Scouts. Um, if you're in it at all, you know that uh, you sell popcorn and then you do a Pinewood uh, Derby race. And part of like the Pinewood Derby race, if you're like six, like I was, uh, is basically your dad like doing everything for you, being like, okay, like... This is what an inch is. Like, please, do, you know, make a mark here, and you make the mark, and he's like, okay. And like, because you're not old enough, to, like, use a like a bandsaw for yourself. Your dad has to like do it for you. And then the thing is, my dad would do like basically put this like block of wood all the way through the bandsaw until like the last like little bit, and then he would like let me push it, like essentially just like like the last little like bit to cut off. He would let me cut it off, right? And, uh, and then he would let me sand it. I'd have to sand the whole car and it was done so it would be smooth and aerodynamic. Um, but uh, when the race day came, uh, after we painted it and, it and it's, you know, frying, I remember I won my first race. Uh, like, you know, they like shoot them down, they go down. I, I beat the other two cars that were racing with me. And I turned to my dad and I'm like, dad, I did it. I like my car won. I beat these other kids, right? And my dad didn't go like, well, actually, I did all the work, and so, really, like, I beat those kids. No, my dad was like, yeah, you did, like, good job, buddy, you know, like, he was, he was proud of me, he was excited for me, um, and, like, honestly, this is, 
Like, this is what God has done for us, right? We, we are like, you know, he's, you know, gotten the bandsaw ready. Everything's like right in order. And he's like invited us, like, come over, you know, come and like poke through here. You know, like, and the, the reality is that's how it feels sometimes, right? Is that you're just like, you're doing all this work and you're getting like maybe like a little like tap in the bandsaw, you know? Um, but that's what God's invited us to. He's invited us to be the final cut, to sand it down. Um, he's chosen to create our world with a little bit of uh, extra to go. Um, and he wants to keep on creating through his effort and our effort. Um, now that may sound like pie in the sky to you. Like, okay, yeah, when I like serve you know, burgers at McDonald's, like I am co-creating with God. Like you are, and I say this because Jesus teaches us to pray Right? Uh, in Matthew, he teaches us to pray, like, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? But he also teaches us to pray, remember, um, give us this day our daily bread. Now, there was a time where God did drop bread from the sky. That's a different sermon entirely. But for this sermon, right, how many of us have ever had bread just dropped from the sky? No, we've eaten it because bakers and farmers harvested grain. This is how God answers this, like, this prayer that we pray. He answers it, he creates bread through us. Um, this is not pie in the sky. This is every baker, every farmer, whatever your job is, like on campus, when you feed people, when you wipe tables, when you, when you make the world a more beautiful place, when you design some piece of art or some piece of culture, like when you dance, whatever it is for you, like you take part in God creating. Um, and that's like, that is the truth, uh, even if it doesn't always feel like it. Um, he is there in your ordinary life. Um, but, it, you know, this isn't even all that God's created uh, us for. Um, many, of you, uh, many of you probably feel like that, too. You're like, yeah, no, I get that the work is important. That takes up a lot of my life. I understand that. Uh, but you probably feel a little bit of the imbalance here uh, because God also has revealed a second part of our lives that is very crucial to who we are um, and that is, uh, let's look at verse 18 through 25. Verses 18 to 25. There's a lot I could say about these verses, uh, particularly about like what marriage is and like how there's partners and blah, 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 blah. But you guys don't care about that because what does that matter? Um, it does matter, uh, but it's very different sermon, right? Uh, what I, what I want to think about is uh, verse 18. Let's focus in right on verse 18. It reads... Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, if we, like, if we read all of chapter 1, and then we went straight into chapter 2, instead of like breaking them up like I did earlier, uh, and, or like I've done even to do this sermon, uh, what you would have heard is uh, a refrain that kept coming up over and over and over again in Genesis, Genesis 1. And God saw that it was good. In fact, it occurs seven times in the first chapter. He makes something, and then he says, man, that's good. Makes something, man, that's good. Makes something, man, that's good. Has, has it gotten repetitive? Well, it happens four more times in chapter one, right? And God uh, keeps saying this over and over again. He keeps, he keeps declaring all these, this, this stuff that he's made good. And then if we got to this chapter, if you just read them straight through, you would have been like, what? It's not good. It's not, what, what, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. In the midst of God creating all this good stuff, uh, all this creative work and pleasure, God pauses and he notices a flaw. There's something wrong. There's something not good. And it's, it's not good for me to be alone. Now, what results is like the making of Eve and the first wedding and all that. 
But I don't want to miss the deeper truth that God is communicating here about, about what like making Eve reveals. Humans are constituted in relationship. It's not good for Adam to be alone. Humans are constituted in relationship. Yeah, the first one's marriage, but you can make an argument that like it had to be marriage, right? Like the first, the first, like he could have created like 10 people, I guess, right? But he created one person. And then if you're going to have more people, you're going to need a wife and then you can make more people, right? Uh, this is a necessary thing to just having more people. Uh, and that means that like one of the undergirding messages that this is sending us is not that like it's good for people to get married, but rather that it's good. It's not good for man to be alone. It's good for people to be around other people, um, and this is the vehicle to do it. Eve is going to be the vehicle through which, like Adam and Eve, create more people. Um, and, and the thing that this like reveals that like I think kind of shocks. It always shocks me when I see it um, that God said that this isn't good. What it means is that like on some level, on some level, like it's not good for it to just be Adam and God. Like on so, on some sort of weird. Well, because it sounds wrong. It's like, wait, so it's not, it's God wasn't enough for Adam. For some reason, God has created Adam uh, needing not just him, but also needing other people. Uh, that it's not, it's not good for it to just be God and Adam. Uh, now, I'm not saying that God's like insufficient or anything like that. Uh, I'm not saying that he, he, you know, can't meet our needs. In fact, he can meet our needs. He does meet Adam's need. He gives her, he gives him Eve. Uh, but what it also means is that it's like, um, it's really the second answer to our question, right? So I said, uh, how does God, um, what was the question? Sorry. Oh yes. How does your ordinary life fit into God's extraordinary plan? Um, he cares. Yeah, sorry. God cares for us through our care for one another, right? God cares for us through our care for one another. The first answer was God creates through our creation. The second answer is God cares for us through our care for one another. And the reason that we say that is because um, this is how he cares for Adam. It's not good for him to be alone. And he doesn't just say like, well, don't worry, Adam, I'm here, right? Like I'm here, you're not alone, I'm, I'm with you. He says, that's not, that's not good enough. Here's Eve. Here's bone of your bone, and, it's, and it means so much to him that he actually breaks out in a song. That's how beautiful it is. And in fact, you know what? It's so true that this is how God has wired at him and, and why he responds this way. Um, that John Capiccio, uh, I'm not pronouncing that name right, but he's the director. This is a big title. He's the director for the Center of Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. I just said the road. Uh, not from here, really, I guess. In his book, Loneliness... Uh, he found higher levels of ep- higher levels of epinephrine, uh, like it's just, it's the stress hormone. Um, he found higher levels of this in people who um, who said that they were lonely. He tested like people's urine, um, and if you're lonely, if you said on your on your like you know questionnaire or whatever that you felt lonely, you would actually uh, on the whole would always test higher for levels of stress, um, and that means that like loneliness burrows really deep into us, that it affects us physically, not just uh, like mentally and emotionally. Um, it, it's, it's kind of written into our DNA that we're not meant to be alone. Um, and we can observe that even now. And th- this means that uh, God is showing up in the normal relations of your, 
in like your normal relationships, right? Your ordinary, just like hanging out with each other, your ordinary friendships. God is showing up in those because he's hardwired you for those connections, right? Um, And you can't shake it. Just as he created us to be creators, he related to us to be like relators. Like that's the, that's how he does his things. Um, uh, This, this means that uh, relationships aren't a waste of your time, right? Here's, here's the reality. Uh, I uh, work on this campus and I um, have been around just long enough to notice that like everyone is walking around like headphones in, like staring at the ground, like just not talking. I will not talk to anybody else. Um, And like, can I just say like, God did not create you for that. Like that is not the way that he designed you to live, like not interacting with people. There's a whole like host of relational activity that's happening around everyone. And we're all just kind of like, Nope, just going to do this thing. Um, some of you guys are like, you are not, you'll take my headphones out of my ears over my cold, dead body. Um, and that's fine. That's fine. I get it. Um, I do understand. But like, what this means is like your need to be constantly entertained, it really should be secondary to like your need for relationship. And you got to ask yourself that question. Like, how open are you? How open are you being to relationship? And you got to be intentional about that. Because for you guys who are working and you are so busy, you're going to have to find time in the midst of all those things for a relationship. And that's how God has wired you and made you. And so how, how is your life reflecting that? That's the question you've got to ask. Um, it's, it's, the other thing is also, if God cares for us through relationship, if God cares for Adam through giving him Eve, the other reality is that like, if you want to help people, like, you have got to be, have your eyes open to like who around you needs to be loved. Even like, think about like, honestly, good opportunity this weekend while you're at a retreat and like some people don't know other people. This is a perfect time for you to like have your eyes open to like the relationships God's putting in front of you and care for others. Um, that that's how he's wanting to care for people is through giving them you. Um, all right. So I'm coming to this last point, guys, I promise. Uh, the question is, right, for both those things, if God is really showing up, it's just, amazing thing God's showing up in our like in our work and in our relationships and like man he just like has done all this stuff and like that's the story we're living in why doesn't it feel like that right why doesn't like why doesn't work feel like I am like I'm answering God's like people are praying for bread and I'm giving it to them you know like why doesn't it feel like it's it's this amazing thing you know uh well we get a hint of it in verses 16 through 17 the answer to it look with me at verses 16 through 17 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God has given Adam and Eve every tree, every plant, every beast. Like They have control of everything. They, they want for nothing. Um, most importantly, they have God himself. Right? Presence, available, helpful. If, they, if there was something that they needed, they could just ask. <laughs> Uh, you know, and they're in full view of him without shame or hindrance. Uh, there's no evil, uh, no disappointment, no strife. Uh, but God, right, in the midst of this moment, out of love for us and in his good and perfect plan, which we uh, honestly don't quite understand, plants a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, right, as well. And the reality is he says to Adam and Eve, effectively at this point, he says, you have all you need. 
You have me and you have food, you have everything you need. But if you decide, if you decide that you want to enjoy these gifts without me, you have an option. If, you've, if you decide that, um, you know, what I've told you isn't good enough, that you can't trust me and, and you'd like to go your own way, here's, here's your way out. Uh, you, may eat of this, you may eat of this tree. But he does tell them uh, the truth about it, right? Because uh, if, if you even think about it, God doesn't actually have to tell them that it's going to end in death. Because if you think about it, um, what, like, what logical reason would someone at this point... Uh, of the story, this makes it really makes no sense because God's told them you can eat of that if you want. Everything's fine. There's no reason for you to, but if you want, you can eat of that. This should be the most boring story any anyone has ever told. And if you would like to eat of it, you may. Well, we don't want to, and that was the end. And here we are, all still in the garden. Like that's how it should have gone, but it didn't. Because um, there's because as you ask this question, like what would ever be gained from eating of that tree? Well, God tells them, death, right? And that's, that's why it's so obvious. It's like, if life is all here, why would I eat of that? Like, it, the only option other than life is death. And, and there's no life without God. Like that's, the, like, that's the choice that they're being given. If you'd like to die, you can go this route. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. We don't, it's, it baffles our, it baffles our, like, minds why we would choose this. And yet, it kind of doesn't. <laughs> Right? Because we've all, we've all kind of been here, right? Uh, it baffles our mind that you would ever choose anything, but then when your friend like, kind of like, doesn't approve of you and you're like, oh, I really want this friend to like me and you, like, do some th- like, you say some things about some other people you probably shouldn't have said because like, that might make you cooler. Or, you know, like, I don't know what it is for you, the ways that you like, kind of compromise your own integrity like, to like, get more you know, security or... Um, approval or whatever it is for you that you that you want but we all kind of in our ways this is what sin is it's us exchanging that like life that is freely offered to us and saying like i would rather go my own way Um, actually this will work out better for me if i don't do that Um, and the reality is that that means uh that we when we're looking for our own ways for approval and safety and validation pleasures of life and opinions of the people like, we're right now experiencing this death. Like, we experience that when we do that. Because um, these, these other things, this approval and safety validation that we're seeking outside God, like, they can't sustain us. Um, we're going to explore this, like, more in depth in our devotion tomorrow. Uh, like, what happens and why everything has been, like, kind of turned on its head. Um, but, the, but we can at least know this. This is the, this is the thing we can know about, uh, about this, is that... Um, Work and relationships, um, they're signs, right? Like those things that God gave Adam and Eve were signs of his goodness and who he is. And they refuse those signs um, and they, they, they actually like latch onto the actual thing itself. Instead of saying like, oh, work and, re- and relationships and all these things are for my good, but they're not ultimate things. They say, nope, this is what I want. I want my relationships my way. I want my food my way. I want my work my way. And they refuse God's oversight. And that means this is our third answer, our third and final answer. Um, How does God, how does your ordinary life fit into God's extraordinary plan? God signals to us through his signs, right? So the first answer, God creates through our creation. Second answer, God cares for us through our care for one another. And the third answer, God signals to us through his signs. 
God signals to us through his signs. Um, Maddie, because uh, all these things are signs uh, about how good he is, and we sometimes don't see it. But that's, that's what he wants to do uh, in our ordinary lives. He wants them to be signals. Maddie and my, my wife and I, we went on our honeymoon uh, to Paris. I don't know if you guys know that or not. It was awesome. Um, but, uh, like, while we were there, we basically just used the metro. Like, we just used, like, the uh, subway or whatever to get around. Um, I don't know how many of you guys have been on a subway. You probably have. Uh, but if you've ever been on a subway, you know that, like, you, you go underground. You can't really tell where you are except for that there's signs, like, at various places telling you, like, this is the platform you're at now, this is the subway stop you're at now, and you, like, get off, and that's how you get through places, but um, uh, sometimes, like, you get off on one stop, because they're, like, normally named after, like, streets or, like, corners or something. Sometimes you get off at a stop, and it'll have, like, two different exits, one on one corner of a street and then one on another corner of a street, and you have to pick, like, which way you want to go. Well, usually, in Paris, what they would do, especially for something like the Louvre, uh, they would say, like, okay, if you pop up over here, you're going to be right in front of the Louvre. If you pop up over here, you're going to end up, like, behind a building. You'll miss it completely. That's actually how the Louvre works. If you, like, exit the wrong one, you're going to, like, pop up in the palace, and you're like, you're like where is the Louvre? And the reality is it's back the other direction. Um, so uh, they, to help, with people, help people with that, they actually put the name, like, Louvre, like, this way. And, like, the other way is, like, some street name. You're like, oh, Louvre is where I want to go. Well, um, by the way, the Louvre's a museum, if you don't know. Um, not saying that you wouldn't, but if you did. Um, so the Louvre is a, a, and like, the reality is, what if, what if this is what we did for our, vaca- for our honeymoon? What if we had flown all the way to Paris, got on the subway, saw the sign for the Louvre, and went, the Louvre! And we took pictures next to the sign for the Louvre, and we like, stood in front of it, and like, cocked our, our heads sideways, and we said, Wow. That's a very deep blue. Well, how does that make you feel? And we talked about it. And we said, what do you think the artist was trying to communicate to us as we looked at this sign? And we did all that. And then we said, wow, the Louvre was impressive. And we got back on the subway. And we went back to our hotel. You'd be like, that's insane. You were at the Louvre. You've got to keep following the sign, right? Honestly, this is what we do with our lives when we live them like not seeing the signal caller, right? When we, when we strive after... Um, work and relationships to the detriment of God, we miss the reality that, like, those are just signs. Like, these things are important. God created us for them. But also, like, they're pointing to who God is. Um, that's, that's what we do when we, when we ignore um, the signs. and we, Or, sorry, when we, like, fall in love with these signs, uh, if we overwork or we, we overcommit to our relationships and we just take from people, um, we're basically like stopping at a sign for the lube instead of going to the real thing. 